We continue in our study of the Shorter Catechism, looking still at the Second Commandment. We've looked at the duties required, seeing the duty of obedience to God's revealed will. And now we'll look at the sins forbidden, or the uh, items that God says we may not do in His worship. So what is forbidden in the Second Commandment? The answer begins, the second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images. Now, this is very important. This is saying the worshiping of God. That means that the person intends under the first commandment to direct their worship to God himself, but the manner in which they worship God is by images. So this is what we're talking about here in the second commandment. First commandment concerns the object of our worship. The second commandment concerns the manner of our worship. Worship God in the first. Worship by what means in the second. So negatively, not by images. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. God tells the people of Israel, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Now what's important to understand, there is a superstitious abuse of this truth, which is that all art is Forbidden. You may not make any image of anything. That's not actually what he's talking about. What he's talking about in the corruption of yourselves is when a person makes an image or a similitude or a likeness for the sake of worship. That's what he's talking about. So, for example, God had images, graven images, within the temple, within the tabernacle, within the Holy of Holies. But they were not there as objects of worship or of means by which God was worshipped. Rather, they were there as works of art to beautify the holy place for a church under age to have representations and reminders of the glory of God. So, for example, you had the bells and the pomegranates. Those were images that were threaded into the cloth that they would have on the priest's garment as well as on the veil. Then you would go in, the priest would go in, not the people actually. Priest would go in and you'd see two graven images of cherubims that would be above the Ark of the Testament. On the outside you had the bulls facing in four directions. When Solomon put the bulls there with the, the uh, massive oceans on them in the temple, you remember that? Those were graven images. But they were there for artistic purposes, not as means by which God was to be worshipped. The people did not bow before the uh, cherubims, or the priests didn't. The people didn't generally go into the temple. They would come and bring their sacrifice. The priest would take it from there, and then he would do all the extra ceremonies and rites. So the people weren't generally exposed to these images, but the point being, God commanded, don't make any graven images, and then he told them to make graven images. The reconciliation is the graven images for art, those are fine. But the graven images as useful in your worship are not fine. They're not to be done. And that's important because certain people who believe in bowing before graven images 
will say, but look, there were graven images in the temple. First of all, we can't argue from the ceremonies of the law to Christian worship. But second is they didn't use them as objects of worship. That if they did, they were sinning. But be, be, be that as it may, God's institution, he doesn't say that they were to bow before them, to burn incense to them, to offer prayers to them or anything like that. But here in Deuteronomy, what he's saying is, I delivered my law to you. You saw no image of me. Therefore, if you make an image of me, you've corrupted yourselves if you make such a representation. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now that's extremely important to what he's going to say, because what does he say are the types of things he's describing that people know about God? What's the word he uses? Catch that? Invisible. The invisible things of God. He's going to contrast with what that with what? Visible representations. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So notice here, he starts with the invisible things of God. And he says that when people become vain and foolish, what do they use? What do they exchange that invisible truth for? For an image, isn't it? One of the church fathers, Lactantius, he had a book called The Divine Institutes. He says, everywhere you find a graven image, religion is absent. So if you have an image, you don't have the worship of God. You don't have religion. If you have the religion of God, you don't have graven images. The two are mutually exclusive. And that's what he's saying here. The invisible truth about God is the reason why we don't worship by graven images. It has nothing to do with Jesus becoming incarnate. Now we can worship graven images. God is still invisible. The truth about him is invisible things. Those things that man knows about God are the invisible things of God. But he rejects that truth in order to worship images. Those two cannot consist together. Now, vain imaginations is the biblical way of referring to graven images. Foolishness is also another way. Lies is another way. Those are all descriptions of graven images. And it's an exchange in verse 23. God is uncorruptible, we make corruptible images. God is invisible, 
we make a visible image. And those are the antitheses of each other. You can't have both together. You can't have Christianity and graven images in worship. They are not consistent. But notice also verse 24, very important. Because people have worshipped corruptible things that they made, God gives people over to uncleanness. That's a judgment. And that judgment is suited to the crime. The crime is, God is invisible, I will make a visible representation. The crime is, God is uncorruptible, I will make a corruptible image. And God says, because you reversed the order of nature, my nature in particular, God's nature, the truth that we know about him, then he inverts man's nature. He corrupts by judgment and depriving man of his reason and of his morality he gives him over to these beast-like, worse-than-beast-like sort of behaviors. It says that again in verse 26. The natural use to against nature. God gives people up to vile affections because they worship graven images. That's very important. The worship of graven images is the first step to sodomy. And just put it in plain language. And so this is what we're seeing here is when people worship the work of their own hands, that's against nature, which says that you should only worship God and that he is invisible. Therefore, if you worship creatures which are visible, you have doubly sinned against the Lord and you're inviting his judgment. All right, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. What profiteth the graven image? Now, hold on a second. The heathen thought that graven images were very profitable in many ways. The heathen thought that graven images were like books for people who couldn't read. Do you know who else thought that graven images were books for people who couldn't read? The papists, because they're semi-heathen. So God asked the question, in order to rebuke the heathens and semi-heathens, what can you gain from a graven image? What profit can you have? Because they say, in professing themselves to be wise, that there is a lot of profit in graven images. They profess themselves to be wise. So now God's going to show how they are fools. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now again, as Paul does, contrasting the invisible and uncorruptible God with the visible and corruptible image, So Habakkuk does the same thing, doesn't he? The Lord is sitting in his holy temple. All the earth is is to stop their mouth and stop reasoning as to why their idols are okay. They're to stop their professions of wisdom, which are actually lies and foolishness. So the incorruptible, invisible God always hates the visible, corruptible images of man because those images lie 
they teach people lies about God. That God is corruptible. That God is mortal. That God is visible. All those things are lies about God. Now, it's also important to understand that what Habakkuk is doing here is not necessarily what the idolaters themselves would have said, but he's showing what the result of their actions is. And that's, that's extremely important. The apologists for graven images would generally say, well, we don't actually worship the thing itself. We just use it as a means to worship the divine spirit. And they literally said this as when the Christians would speak to them or the Jews would speak to them before the advent of Christ, the heathens would say, well, I don't worship stone. I don't worship wood. I worship the divine spirit behind this image, above this image. Or So there's like a philosophical heathenism that says, no, 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 we don't worship those. Then there was the mystic heathenism that says, well, the gods are like present at the image. And then there's the basest form of heathenism, which is, well, I actually worship this graven image. This graven image is my God. I can pick up my God and I can move him and I can stick food in his belly. That's like the bottom heathenism. So there's also the mystic heathenism. And then above that, there is the philosophical heathenism. But what the scriptures do is they give no place to any kind of heathenism. No way that you can escape the basest form of heathenism because if you actually believed that there was a divine spirit, then you wouldn't use a graven image because a spirit is invisible. A spirit is incorruptible. So you're making a corruptible thing and therefore you're just like the basest of the idolaters. So that's very important. This is a biblical point that the scriptures again and again make. If you use an image in your worship, you are the basest of heathens. No philosophical heathenism. No making excuses for your images. No professing yourselves to be wise. Your idols are dumb. They can't speak. They can't teach. There's no breath. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't handle. They have feet, but they can't walk. That's the apology of the Old and the New Testaments and of the Church Fathers, actually, as to why graven images are unsuitable for divine worship. And so here, Habakkuk does much the same thing. Are graven images the books of the unlearned? Yes. What do they teach the unlearned? Lies. That's what he says here. The molten image is a teacher of lies. Okay, so that's the first part. The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images, but also goes on in the Catechism's answer, just as the scriptures go on, or any other way not appointed in his word. Not in tradition, not in your feelings, not in any other thing than the word of God. Okay, so that's important. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the specific reference of this is a manner of um, making oaths that God had not commanded that the Jews would engage in 
where they would say, I'm not going to provide for my parents in their old age because I've devoted my money to the temple. Korban. And when my money is devoted to the temple, the temple being the place where God is worshipped, I don't have to look after my parents. And then when their parents would die, you know what the people of the temple would do? They'd take their chunk of the money and give the rest back to you. So they took a little fee so that you wouldn't have to take care of your parents. So this was what they considered to be the worship of God, an oath that they would make, devoting their goods to God. And Jesus is telling them that their worship is vain. You pretend with your lips to honor me, but you don't actually do what I say. You see that? It's rather the commandments of men that you offer in worship. You do those things that men hand down to you rather than those things that God says. Now, the word worship means the worth ascribed to a thing. Worthship is literally the full phrase. What is the worthship that we should offer to God? What is befitting his glory and his majesty? That's the worship we should offer. Now, before you start worshiping God, if you believe that he is worthy, you ought to ask him, well, how should I worship you? What is the, what is the honor that's suitable to your name? And he's already answered that question, actually. So if you come up with something that he didn't command, but men commanded, if you practice worship, but you go to the creature to say, hey, creatures, tell me what is worthy of God? How ought I to praise and honor God? But you ask creatures to do it. Do you realize that's hypocrisy? Because on the one hand, you're saying I'm showing how worthy you are, God. But then you're saying, but I'm not going to listen to you when you tell me how you're supposed, how I should do that. I'm going to listen to the voices of the elders. I'm going to listen to the voice in my head. I'm going to listen to my emotions, which tell me how you should be worshipped. All of that is dishonoring God. Is saying, you're not even worthy to be listened to, God, when it comes to how I should honor you. You see how disrespectful that is? So it's even before the act of worship begins, there is pre-worship happening. How should I honor God? How should I come before him? What is the manner that pleases him in worship? And we're giving that honor to creatures and saying, hey, creature, you tell me how to honor God. And that's why he says here, it's vain. In vain do they worship me. And he also says, it's drawing near with the mouth. You say you honor me, but you do what men command rather than what I command. And that is a consistent teaching of scripture. Don't We looked at this last week. Don't go to the right hand. Don't go to the left. Everything I command you, Jesus said, observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So there is the kingship of Christ. You submit to it and observe his ordinances, and you don't therefore observe the doctrines and commandments of men, be they never so honorable and handed down with great pomp, ceremony, and tradition, all of it amounts to the same thing. You're giving honor to creatures as to how God is supposed to be honored instead of giving the glory to God and saying, you teach me how you should be worshipped. All right, then just a quotation there on page two of your handout. How may we further offend and sin against the second commandment? He says, we offend and sin against the second commandment 
not only by idolatry and superstition, but also when we are not zealous for pure worship according to God's institution, not endeavoring what in us lieth in our places, the reformation of worship according to the pattern in the word, as also when we disuse and neglect, especially when we contemn and oppose any of those ordinances which God hath appointed to be the means of worship. So what what this is saying, if you remember, when Jesus went into the temple and he drove out the money changers, he overturned the tables, he released the doves. Does anybody recall what passage of scripture described that event? It's in the Psalms. It was, zeal for thy house hath eaten me up. So Christ is an example for us in all ways, in terms of obedience to God's commands, and that one specifically. The reason why he opposed, and as a public teacher in in the place of worshiping God, he opposed and he did something about it. it, whatever was within his power to do, to reform God's worship according to the pattern. Because God had said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But they had thought up devices. And their devices were that they would make it into an emporium where they could make a lot of money by selling things. They could make fat profits. For the priests, of course. You know, We're taking care of the priests here, the Levites. But we're going to make a lot of money off the people. So we're going to have, instead of a court that God said was for the Gentiles to come and pray in, we're going to have sheep for sale, oxen for sale, doves for sale. You have to change your heathen coin in for a temple coin so we can make a little profit off of gold and silver. So we've got all these methods by which we're making money. But the main problem was it was contrary to divine command. may have been done with good intentions. may have been handed down for generations by tradition. But none of it was commanded by God. In fact, when the people murdered their infants, the thing that he finds the most abhorrent in Jeremiah when he mentions it is, that thing never came into my mind. I didn't even think about you should be doing this. I never said anything to you about this. I never gave you a command to do it. And that was the offense of it. Because you're taking cues from your own thoughts and from the heathens outside instead of listening to what I have commanded you. So what he's saying here is we must be zealous to oppose unlawful worship and to enter into and to promote the true worship of God. We have to have the same zeal that Christ had for God's worship. And then opposing those acts and manners of worship that are not according to God's appointed word. All right, now, um, this study began looking at it from the perspective of the American colonial peoples and how the Shorter Catechism was what instructed them in their New England primer, how they learned those things. And one of the things that's important to understand is this is why Roman Catholics were not permitted to be citizens of the original states in America. I think maybe Maryland was an exception to that rule, and you see what's happened to them. But the idea is that if you allow idolaters to become citizens, then they become your judges, they become your president, they become your senators. And because they are corrupt and wicked in worshiping graven images and semi-heathenism, 
they then bring a judgment upon your nation. So that if you tolerate idolaters in civil society, you don't oppose them in whatever way you can, then they're going to bring all kinds of judgment upon you. So Protestants should not marry with Papists, that's one thing, but also we should not be in civil leagues with them because they are idolaters, they worship graven images, they don't ask God, how should you be worshipped? They look to their tradition and they say, what is our standard of tradition handed down generation to generation? It's not actually the same. You look at the tradition as it's handed down over time. It's become more and more corrupt over time. So you'll find the early fathers that they revere and canonize and they worship, they'll say, don't worship graven images. That's idolatry. That's ungodly. You shouldn't do it. That's heathenism. And then later you'll find their fathers say, well, you should worship graven images. It's okay because Jesus was incarnate. We can make images of him. And after all, we're supposed to revere and follow the saints. Don't you have pictures of your parents? Well, then you should have pictures of the saints and you should honor those pictures. And, you know, they come up with all these sophistries professing themselves to be wise. But if we allow Roman Catholics in our nation, what are we asking for? God, please judge us. Please send plagues and curses. Please send sodomy against us. Please judge us with blindness of mind because we now profess ourselves to be wise and we tolerate those who worship images made like unto corruptible man. So these are things that we ought not to tolerate in civil society as well as in our personal lives in any place where we have authority to speak. God requires that we love what he loves and that we hate what he hates.